Welcome to The Scientists! Woo! I'm Madeline Freed. I'm Blythe Robertson. And this is a show about science where we invite comedians on and then we explain a science topic to you. And this month's theme is garbage. Ha 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 So, Madeline, why are we qualified to talk about garbage? Really excellent question. Uh, I wrote my... University of Chicago anthropology thesis about the culture of garbage, and that is true. <laughs> and I know lots of facts about it, and I wrote all this presentation by memory, because I always think about it. Um, I, uh, one time, was walking with a friend on my way to a mailbox, and I saw a garbage can across the street, and I crossed the street, and I put it in the garbage can, and I said, look, it's the crying of Lot 49. And that's You're all very, qualified. <laughs> yeah. very qualified. Very yeah. qualified. All right. Well, um, <laughs> let me set up the presentation. By the way, this is completely off topic, but is anyone here striking tomorrow for the Women's March? Yes. Hell yeah. Hell Let's talk yeah. after the show. My boss came in and tried to like shame me not to do it today, but, but thank you. Still, we persist. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, last... Uh, oh, here we go. Here, here we go. <laughs> Garbage. So, the science is a little bit um, tricky here. This time, we're anthropologists, and anthropology is not technically a science anymore, but whatever. It's a social yeah. science. Yeah, close enough. Uh, so, um, you know, what is garbage? <laughs> So this is garbage. Um, all men are garbage. <laughs> yeah, sh all shapes and sizes. Yeah. Um, so very simply, garbage, like if I were to ask, I'm assuming if I were to ask an audience member what garbage is, you'd say things like it's gross, it's something that excess, you want to get rid of it, um, nasty. Yeah, just useless. Useless, yeah. yeah. Something that's useless or gross. Pretty much anything that you like throw away, that's garbage. Yeah, that's it. Cool, all right. Oh, by the way, <laughs> just at the top of the show, uh, we're not gonna like cite sources for like every single thing because like Madeline did this from memory, uh, but here's like general sources that we are pulling from. All right, there the first one is... That little picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we looked at that, we meditated, we did this entire PowerPoint. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there's this woman named Robin Nagel at NYU. She is, I think, the, like, the Oof. official anthropologist for NYU's, or for NYC's, like, sanitation people. Yeah, she's very dope. She has a tattoo and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so we, like, read stuff on her syllabus as if we were in college. We followed it very, very specifically. We're very good students. Yeah. We're A students. Look, we printed our notes on these note cards. Damn it. Um, a lot of stuff comes from the book Garbage Land, and we're interviewing the author, Elizabeth Wright, at the end of the show. Yeah, she's for real here right now. And uh, yeah, sitting around thinking with our own damn brains. That's another source. Um, so uh, the problem with what we call garbage is that actually you're wrong garbage <laughs> is not actually something that's useless or gross. Um, yeah, it's not like objectively, some of it's not like if you saw it, a lot of it has to do with location. So for example, here are some like shitty leaks. 
Um, <laughs> I didn't take this picture myself, but you can imagine that I bought them at Seatown, where the it's very bad produce. So, I mean, if I have them on the table, they could just be like suspect leeks that I'm gonna put in a soup and eat. And I'm like, well, they got warm, so it's fine. Scallions, green onions. I think leeks are actually like really big onions. So I fucked this whole thing up. Yeah, you can't, you can't know what a leek is. We don't know what a leek is. <laughs> yeah, it's cultural. But so if they're on the table, they're fine. But if I put them in the garbage can, then you would be like, okay, those are like trash <laughs> green onions that I never want to see again in my life. Um, and it really all has to do with location. And also, like, because I buy those at Seatown and they suck from the moment I buy them, they're produced when they're on the shelf. But, like, if I took them directly from the shelf and put them in the garbage can, you would be like, yeah, that's garbage. It's a freaking magic trick. Yeah. All you have to do is put it somewhere else and suddenly it is trash. Yeah. So another way that suddenly something that isn't trash becomes trash is you just, like, decide it's not useful anymore. So for example, these are some shoes that I have. I bought them when I was in eighth grade. Um, they don't keep my feet warm. They don't keep my feet dry. There's a hole in the bottom that rocks and liquids can come through. Um, but because I have a positive attitude and like a lovely soul, I use them as shoes still. And so they're not trash, they're shoes. Um, yeah, I, I want to just, uh, just another example. Um, let's say you have um, clothes that you wear. Uh, you wear them every day and everyone agrees that they're clothes that you're allowed to wear. Uh, then one day you decide that you have too much space uh, or you have not enough space in your closet or hanging on the floor um, and you decide, uh, I'm going to take them to Beacon's Closet. You can go to the one nearby, um, the worst one. <laughs> and uh, you take them there and those um, glamorous villains tell you that your clothes deserve um, no, they cost no money and you have to put them into a, literally a trash a bag on the floor. And those clothes that previously you were wearing uh, are now <laughs> garbage. They're garbage. No self-respecting person would go into that bag, take them out and wear your dang clothes. So yet another way. Yeah. So the reason that this is important um, is that uh, that it's very hard to understand our culture from the inside of it. Uh, it's very easy to look at someone else's weird culture and be like, why do you use chicken entrails to predict the future? Uh, <laughs> but it's very hard to tell that you're being dumb from the inside of it. And so how um, would an anthropologist who's coming from the United States be able to study the United States? And um, like me, for example, I was an anthropology major. Um, uh, that the way that you do that, I, I say, mm -hmm. is look at the ways that we act weird around stuff at the edges of our culture uh, and see if you can poke at it and see how we react badly to it. And by examining that from that angle, um, by saying like, what do we find gross? What do we find weird? What do we um, decide is not appropriate? When you poke at that stuff, that's how we'll tell you know, how we actually are. Yeah, and so this kind of goes along with that because like as our society has become more like affluent, we throw more stuff away just because like we have more stuff, but also like there's more stuff that people are producing and you're not gonna buy new stuff if you like have all this old stuff. So we need ways to like rationalize to ourselves that we're throwing stuff away. And by the way, this is gonna be a very anti-capitalism show. So if you like have a large stake in capitalism, like I would leave now. <laughs> You come from the family of capitalists. 
So anyways, what is gross? Like, why do we say like, oh, this thing is gross, so I'm gonna throw it away? Like, what is gross? All men are gross, obviously. <laughs> uh, what else is gross? Um, this photo of Donald Trump and all of his friends, super gross. <laughs> Um, the fact that Brie Larson, who played a sexual assault survivor, had to present Casey Affleck, a man who has sexually harassed multiple women, with an Oscar, that's pretty gross. But also, it's just a cultural category. It's not a scientific category. Right. And so uh, we're going to get uh, into what exactly it means to be a cultural category. Um, and as Blythe was saying, no big frickin' surprise, we're a capitalistic society, um, and a consumptive one. And so when we poke at trash, it's, uh, it's consumption that we find. So here's um, two pictures. Uh, this is people uh, in Mongolia, and this is people in Texas, America. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's all the stuff that's in their house. And to, so Blythe said she's anti-capitalist, and I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm not anti-capitalistic for this show. Afterwards, I'll be anti-capitalistic again, but this time I'm a scientist, and I'm just looking at this with a critical eye. Um, so I'm not putting a value judgment on either of these two pictures. These people are not necessarily like happier and better than the people in this picture, and vice versa. It's just that these people have more stuff than these people. Um, and as you get more stuff, as you have more stuff, you run out of room in your dang house. And you need reasons to be able to get rid of that stuff uh, that's still useful, that still um, should be worth something. But we invented this idea of garbage. We, we consider more things gross. We consider more things unfashionable, more things useless, so that we get rid of it and have more room for more stuff. We have these like conceptions of garbage that it's mm -hmm. gross, that it's un, um, that it's not valuable anymore. But uh, guess what? We're gonna interrogate the category. Um, <laughs> uh, remember college? It was really fun. Um, uh, and yeah, so one thing about calling something, calling garbage gross, is that like you calling something that it doesn't really have a moral fact, you're just like putting it into a box that's different than the box you had before. Um, but you're giving it like an immoral kind of, um, kind of category, like something that is, that is tainted, um, that is bad. Yeah. Uh, so we've gotten, over history, more hygienic as a culture. Which um, is good. Like a lot of stuff does make you sick. But some stuff doesn't, like eating off of other people's plates uh, doesn't make you sick. It doesn't. People think it's gross. But if you love people, you should just eat their food. Yeah, I or eat, even people you don't know. Yeah, I eat food right out of my loved one's mouths. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if I were to sit at a restaurant and look at the table over from me and she hasn't finished her kale salad and I say, I would like to eat that, please, everyone would be very upset with me. Yeah. But that's what Madonna did when she moved to New York. Yeah. So? And now she's a superstar. Yeah. Uh, also, like, taking a baby crib, crib off the side of the street, probably not that gross. When I was a kid, I found a sofa on the side of the street. I got all my friends. We pushed it a mile to my house. Uh, and my parents said, we're going to burn that. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but why? Why? You could have sat on it in good health. Yeah, it could have had lice, but it, a crib is made of wood, so... And guess what else? Lice is no big deal. It is. It's no big deal. 
There are people in the world who just live. I've had lice a 100 times. Do you know how much hair I used to have? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. But some people in the world just live with lice all the yeah. time. They just live with lice. They and do. And also, like, they're fine. They're totally fine. Also, Diva Cups, something making a resurgence in the feminist like utopia we had before Hillary lost. Uh, but like, okay, so like everyone knows what a tampon is, unless you're a guy. Uh, but Diva Cups are like basically a cup that you insert into your vagina and you like collect menstrual stuff. At the end of it, you have to stick your hands up your vagina, pull it out, and then you have a handful of blood. <laughs> And guess what? I bet 40% of the people in this room have one in right now. <laughs> yes. And guess what? It's, it sounds gross. It's, but we all do it. Yeah. And like <laughs> tampons literally make you sick. Like I'm nauseous every moment a tampon is in my body. And my mom got like super sick because in the 70s they just were like, let's make tampons huge and put a shit ton of chemicals in them so you never have to take them out. And like a bunch of women died. But diva cups don't kill you. They yeah. just like get blood on your hands. And honestly, I'm in the kind of political mood right now where I want menstrual blood on my hands all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All this to say, all this to say, like, there's lots of things I could put in front of you, make you put in your mouth that are gross, <laughs> that we would all in this room call gross. But gross should be a stand-in for dangerous is going to make you sick. That's our heuristic. We're like, oh, when I feel nasty, when that's like, ugh, get away, that away from me, that's because we're protecting ourselves from being sick um, and getting ill. But as this list shows, there are lots and lots and lots of things that we call gross that will never, that are, bless you, that are never dangerous, uh, that, are, that are not dangerous and will not make you ill. And so, guess what? We've poked this little category and... There's a, I have a theory on why we call things gross. It's because you can take something useful and that still has value, like that girl's kale salad, and throw it in the trash and feel fine. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. But I want to, I want to... Um, oh, what's this slide? Oh, yeah. Okay, here's all the things we <laughs> invented to sell you more things because we invented hygienic categories um, to make uh, you... We increase what we consider gross as we got richer. Um, okay, this is my favorite thing because Airborne never protected you from any germs and they had to take this off the packaging, but they're selling you this thing. Um, you know, you take vitamin C or whatever. I don't know, there's some garbage in there. I don't know what's in Airborne, but um, it's preying on your fear of all these germs. It's making you buy something, but it doesn't actually even help that. We invented body odor. That wasn't a thing before, like 150 years ago. I told Madeline that I feel fine about using deodorant, but I think maybe I'm just like not garbage woke enough. <laughs> oh my God, who's, gar who's garbage woker than me? Probably Elizabeth Royd, but she'll be up later. Um, yeah, but uh, it's not to say that we, you know, there's a theory if you go back into London like 500 years ago, you wouldn't stop vomiting until you passed out. Because um, <laughs> it smells so bad. <laughs> Uh, these are Kleenex hand towels put in a place where we used to have reusable towels and you'd consider this more hygienic. Um, and here's a reusable diaper. And I spent a lot of time at work um, comparing reusable to cloth diapers. I don't have a child. 
Okay, so like, uh, so, right, so there are some people who do gross things and we feel like they're so gross that we want them to have TV shows. Uh, and one of them is Extreme Cheapskates, and I'll let you talk about it because you love them. Oh my God, it's my favorite show of all time. I think it was only on for one season. And uh, this is, um, it's a group of people who are extreme cheapskates, and then they, the camera goes and tries as much as possible to show you how disgusting they are. Um, and this happens over and over and over again. They're doing some like weird cheapskate thing, and they're like, ew, and then they invite those people's friends over and have those friends get really grossed out by it too. It's so awesome. So I'm gonna show you a little clip of that. I'm cutting toilet paper squares for our bathroom that we will wash and use instead of paper products. We have a little bin underneath the basket that holds the little toilet wipes where we put them so we can wash them later. And then when it's time to wash, I just pour them in and I never have to touch them with my hands. Buying toilet paper just doesn't do anything for me. As a middle-class family that makes a good income, I shouldn't have to go into debt to buy toilet paper. All of our cloth wipes that we have in the house, we've been using them for more than five years. Using cloth toilet paper saves us $20 a month. Over a year then, that is um, $240. I had one person say she couldn't contaminate her washing machine. And I just had to laugh because if you know anything about bacteria, there's no way it can survive those harsh conditions. So contamination's not an issue at all. When Angela first came up with the, the idea of cloth toilet paper, I was kind of a little skeptical. And once I got used to it, it to me it's, it's more comforting to have something solid on your hand than the paper stuff. This is kind of dirty. It's okay, it's clean. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I love her so much. I love her so much. I love all these people so much. But we think I could hear everybody groaning. You think she's so gross. You think she's so gross. Yeah. But um, oh, and other people they like pick up roadkill off the side of the room and cook it, and then have barbecues with all their friends. It's so great. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the thing is, like I am so grossed out by this, and I wouldn't do it. But like these people clearly have been doing it for a year, and they haven't died of dysentery. Yeah, it's not dangerous because, yeah. as she said, it gets disinfected in the washing machine. And guess what else? People are, train yourself to think. Whenever you feel that gross feeling, it's cause capitalism wants you to keep buying shit. Yeah. So one thing about this lady and her family, they have six children and um, by pursuing the American dream, they got into $90,000 worth of debt and they got, by doing this weird shit, they got themselves out of debt in six months. She should be our freaking yeah. hero. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. yeah. Damn is right. But this whole episode is not about that. It's about how they buy expired cheese and how nasty that is. But also, like, just, I, like, want to add that, like, we're not giving a lot of, like, facts and figures in the show because um, we didn't want to. Um, but, like, oh, wait, go back, go back. But, like, okay. Toilet paper, a lot of it comes from, and Elizabeth Roy writes about this a little bit in her book, like a lot of it comes from like the boreal forests of Canada, which are these ancient forests like that are incredibly biodiverse and like 60% of them were like allotted to be cut down. Uh, and Kimberly Clark, which was like this company that makes toilet paper, before 2011, they were like getting a lot of their toilet paper from there, even though like there are all these animals that live there, like over a billion types of birds live there or something. And like I wrote this down 186 billion tons of carbon was like in this forest, in the trees and soil. So by like cutting that down, we're like releasing that into the world to be like greenhouse gas. Um, so it's kind of like, 
I personally am not going to, like, start cutting up T-shirts to, like, use as toilet paper, but it's, like, a big effect on the environment. I am. Suck it, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of part one. Okay. So, so and the next, and we're going to bring up our next comedian. She is everyone's best friend. She's the queen of Brooklyn. And she writes for a show uh, on Nickelodeon, Nick Free K, I think, and it's called Blaze and the Monster Machines. It's for kids, but I think its tagline is Let's Blaze. So, <laughs> uh, so please give it up for Halcyon Person. Yes, that's true. I work for a preschool television show, tagline of which is Let's Blaze. Uh, <laughs> that was all true. Uh, oh, no, it's not uh, up anymore. Do you know how I uh, get it back up? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so tonight we're talking about garbage. We're talking about trash. And uh, I have to admit to you guys all tonight that I am a pack rat. Uh, I cannot throw anything away. Do, are there any other pack rats here tonight? Oh, you know, oh, okay, so you all did, like, the joy and magic of tidying up and, like, you think you're better than me now. I get it. I get it. But I am seriously, like, I refuse to throw anything away. And I thought to, like, demonstrate that to you guys, I would um, uh, kind of go through a couple things. I just went through my apartment this morning. I walked around and uh, looked for things that were, like, definitely trash that I still own. Um, so here are a couple things. Um, I have a Tupperware lid with no bottom. <laughs> I'm not going to use that. Um, a uniform shirt from a job that I hated and no longer work at. Uh, but why would I have that? Um, I have a book about forging and treating steel and steel byproducts. Uh, I don't think in my preschool television career I'm ever gonna use that. Um, I have a promotional poster for the TV show Nashville, a show that I have never watched and I never plan on watching. Um, and this is, this is great. I, I took a class 10 years ago with Joyce Carol Oates and I held on to these notes she gave me in the class and I assumed that they were like full of wisdom and like tricks of the trade and I just was holding on to them because I knew someday I'd like look back and be like so happy I had them. But today I did actually look back and it's just literally uh, her crossing out like full paragraphs of my prose <laughs> and notes where she just said like, not this and no. <laughs> um, and since this is a science show, we're here to talk about science, I thought I'd have a, a hard science fact for you guys. Apparently, according to uh, the first website I Googled that um, had a fact that proved my point, um, <laughs> the very act of shedding a possession triggers activity, activity in the anterior cingulate cortex and in the insula. And those are the parts of the brains that feel physical pain. So it's physical pain. When, you throw, when I throw something out, I feel true pain. Like if you ask me to throw out rotting produce, that hurts. That hurts me. And I'm scared of that pain, I, I'll be honest. I'm scared of determining uh, the line between when something is good and when it's trash, uh, like Madeline and Blythe were talking about. Like, I'm not sure when something's useful to me and when it becomes a waste of space. And I have to now admit that that uh, includes boyfriends. Uh, it parallels my romantic relationships uh, because I am a relationship pack rat, for sure. I've spent years longer in relationships than I should have uh, with men that are full-on garbage. Uh, and I thought, since um, I know there are some relationship pack rats out there, too, you don't have to woo, you don't have to cheer, I know you're out there. Um, I thought I would do um, something to help you guys learn from my mistakes. So here you go. Um, uh, this is When to Throw Them Away, a guide on how to not be a relationship pack rat. 
And um, just to note, uh, I'm calling from my own romantic experiences, which is why this is all about dudes, but uh, garbage people come in all orientations and sexes, so you probably can all relate to some of this. Uh, okay, so let's get into our first uh, piece of garbage. Um, okay, so you're gonna... Uh, it's gonna seem like a really good idea to date the lapsed Catholic, uh, because he's like, complicated and passionate and he's like always brooding he's really good at following arbitrary rules which like i kind of like um but you're gonna date him and he's gonna make you stay up till 3 a.m listening to christian songs he's written played on the guitar before he'll have sex with you um and then when he does have sex with you he's going to finish but then not help you finish because like that's when he's suddenly like racked with guilt about his sins like right after he comes um so that's that point, you guys, right then, that's when you should throw them away, okay? That's when you should throw them away. Um, that's the expiration date. You don't be like me. Do not date him for another three months, hoping that he'll get over 20 years of indoctrination. He needs to marry, like, he needs to, like, move back to Michigan and become, like, a youth pastor, and you need to, like, move on with your life, you know? So uh, get, you, gotta, you gotta throw that in the trash. Uh, next up is uh, the slightly racist guy. And I will say that some of you may notice that's Ty Pennington from uh, Trading Spaces. And I don't know that Ty Pennington is racist. I don't even know if he's slightly racist. But like, it wouldn't shock you if he was though, right? You guys know what I mean. Like, if you heard that he had told a racist joke on like satellite talk radio, you wouldn't be like, oh, my Ty Pennington? You'd be like, yeah, okay, that sounds right. Um, uh, uh, but you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna date this guy and right about the time that you hook up for the first time, he's gonna tell you afterwards how happy he is that he can cross um, being with a black girl off the list. Um, and that's when you know it's time to throw him in the trash. Do not wait around, do not wait another two months. And uh, side note, I have to say the joke is on him because I'm not even really that black. Um, it's like saying that you've been to Atlanta because you connected through the airport. Um, so not, it was like, he, joke's on him. Uh, <laughs> the next guy is uh, the quote unquote really nice guy. We all know this guy. And it's so, it's so tough because the quote unquote really nice guy can just seem like a regular old nice guy, you know, if you're not careful. But the trick you can use is that if someone says they're a really nice guy all the time, they're probably not one. Um, because that usually means that they'll uh, text you uh, to say that you should go get the morning after pill, the night after a hookup. Uh, but when you say that like you're kind of scared and nervous, you've never done that before, um, and ask if maybe he could go with you, uh, he'll say like, no, actually I gotta like study for an exam. Uh, and then he won't even offer to like split it with you. Uh, so you'll go by yourself and um, it kind of like sucks. And uh, you know, the next few days are like kind of physical pain, emotional pain, it kind of like just is a real bummer. Um, and he won't contact you at all. Like won't be in touch with you for the entire week, but he will leave like a very nice potted plant outside of your door at the dorm, um, which is uh, not for you. It's for, so other people know that he's a really nice guy. Um, and so everyone can see that. Uh, and so, you know, like as soon as that happens, you have figured it out. You gotta get rid of him. Don't don't date him for another, say, I don't know, five months before you uh, get get that trash out of there. Uh, there are not enough nice potted plants in the world. Uh, so the next guy is uh, the guy who doesn't like music. <laughs> Actual quote. Um, so when you buy tickets to a concert for this for you and this guy to go to, and he tells you, I don't really like music. That's 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 enough. You don't need to. Okay, who doesn't like music? That just that's. Bizarre, why are you holding on to that for another five months? Just move along. Uh, 
Next is the untalented artist. And I will say, um, this is, uh, it's, I'm not saying that The Rock is an untalented artist. I'm saying that this is untalented art of The Rock. Um, just wanted to make that clear. I'm a very big fan of The Rock. Um, so this is one you guys, you really have to watch out for. This is a dangerous one because it's going to be someone who you're dating whose art you just despise. Like everything they make is terrible. And maybe, um, say for example, just pulling this out of the air, they're um, writing a, um, a staged version of the 80s movie Big Trouble in Little China um, written in Shakespearean verse. Um, so <laughs> and they want to perhaps read, uh, read you multiple drafts. And I say that um, not like you, like you read it, but like he reads it to you um, <laughs> at dinner. Um, so like right then, that's when you can just like chuck it, get out of there, no need for any more. That is true garbage. Um, so next up is uh, Steve Harvey. Um, I've never dated Steve Harvey, I can admit that honestly, uh, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I do think that he is trash and I think as a nation we need to throw him away. He's the worst and he has a best-selling book with multiple editions where he calls uh, women's pussies cookies uh, for pages and pages. Yeah, look it up, it's true, science fact. Um, <laughs> so throw him in the trash. Uh, okay, next up, the guy whose only redeeming quality is, is that he has a dog. This, uh, you know, they're just the worst. They can't string a sentence together, and they want to hang out exclusively at 3 a.m. when they're drunk, but they have a dog. I know, I know. You, you still have to trash them. I, I get this. I, I had a personal experience with this, and this is probably one of the most embarrassing things I've admitted, but I never even met the dog. Uh, I would keep, like, suggesting dates where, like, a dog would naturally be there, like, occur. Like, oh, let's go get ice cream at the park. Like, oh, let's uh, go have a picnic in the park. Let's, like go to a dog park and see what happens. Uh, and I never brought the dog, um, but I held out hope and you do not need to. There are so many uh, people with dogs in the world. You could you go get your own dog. Why not get your own dog? That's so much better than waiting on that trash. Uh, so definitely throw that away. And finally, you know, last and least, the total asshole. I'm so sad to admit that I dated a total asshole for th almost three years. He was awful, um, he was stupid. He's actually three other slides on this PowerPoint. Um, and he, he gaslit me, he made me feel insane about feeling feelings and feeling angry, and he totally undermined my creativity and ambition uh, for like a good chunk of my 20s. And you know, all, all these types I've mentioned, like all, including him, like I never even, I, I didn't even throw him away, right? Like he threw me away. He actually moved out of our shared apartment uh, in the middle of the day with all his stuff. And I came home and it was like empty. Uh, and that's like another PowerPoint that I'll show you after if you want. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, just like total trash, right? Start to finish. And um, uh, the last year of that relationship, I was having panic attacks almost daily. My body was literally rebelling against me and the like trash I had brought into my life. It, it was trying to stop me from continuing to be with trash. But I was a relationship pack rat, you know? Like the pain of ha being with something was better than the pain of throwing it away. And that was totally wrong. Absolutely 100% wrong. I, I think I figured out that saying goodbye to trash is like important and necessary to grow and like get over things. Um, my exes are like slimy compost that like I blossom from like a trash flower, you know? Um, and so I, with that in mind, I thought I'd do something tonight very dramatic um, to like kind of like rid, 
rid myself, you know, in, in this space with all of you people of, of some trash in my life to like start my stopping of my pack rat ways. So I have a trash can here. If you'll just give me a yeah, second. Yeah, I'm gonna go in it. Thank you. Good night. Um, uh, here I have my Nashville poster. It's really nice though, right? Um, you'll notice that um, it advertises sassy divas, family drama, tender lovin', and local flavor. And there are a couple cool things. There's a map here. It's like Deacon's house. I don't know who Deacon is, but I'm sure that's good. There's a grand old Opry. Um, yeah, what do we got there? That's the new home of Nashville. All right. Um, yeah, this is trash, right? Uh, I'm going to throw it away now. You guys with me? <laughs> Fuck yeah! Ah! Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. I'm probably going to pick this out later, but I appreciate all of your support. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Woo! Um, uh, Connie Britton came on our show. I like Google celebrities for a TV show for my job. And uh, Nashville is bad, but I watched the whole first season in a week. Wow. It's so good. Every man on the show looks exactly the same. <laughs> they all look like the dad on Modern Family. So it's really dramatic because it seems like everything is happening to the same man. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to directly contradict a science fact that Halcyon <laughs> said. Um, uh, disregard that she's not a scientist. Um, <laughs> so my thesis is that we love to throw things away. And in fact, uh, one of the mechanisms by which we get rid of stuff, or we allow ourselves to get rid of stuff, is how good it feels to throw things away um, and how freeing. Because guess what? We love, um, oh, not yet. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. our good like, friend. You love to be like, I am no longer the person who would wear a pair of salmon colored capri pants that are ripped up, which I was for a while. And yes. then I gave them away and I felt so good. And when I did that, people literally said to me, no, but these are like the you pants. <laughs> <laughs> but human beings. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love them too. Um, uh, human beings love categories. We love them. We love us versus them. In fact, I would say that identity doesn't matter unless you have something else that's not that identity too. And so every time you push something out and say that is not mine, um, you are like shoring up what you actually are. And that's like, you can feel that happening as you like get rid of all of your stuff. You feel more whole, you feel more yourself. And uh, there's a, there's a, a international sensation uh, who believes this too, and that's your girl. <laughs> Marie Kondo. Yeah, so who Kondo is Marie, Marie Kondo? Uh, Marie Kondo is a uh, Japanese woman who wrote a book called The Magical... The Life-Changing Magic of yeah. Tidying It Up. Yeah, yeah, that one. It's a little book. It has, like, watercolor on the front. And uh, <laughs> she did not expect to be a smash, smash hit, but... Um, she believes, or she instructs you to go through your house, put everything into four piles. Um, the piles are like clothes, books, paper, and trash. I don't know. Um, <laughs> a bunch of piles. And then uh, you have to hold each item in your hand 
uh, detect whether it sparks joy in you. And if it doesn't spark joy, you put it into a big trash can and then you throw all that trash away. And you are supposed to do that one time in your life and you get rid of everything that you own or whatever doesn't spark joy in you. And then everything will be solved and you'll be like Marie Kondo. Yeah. Yeah, and this is a super, super bestseller. There are, there are um, entire conferences about her. Yeah. You know, you've There's heard a, of her, you know. The whole last season of Gilmore Girls is like about Marie Kondo. <laughs> yeah, and it's super, super interesting how people talk about her too, like, or how she talks about getting rid of stuff. It's like, um, you're getting lighter. All this stuff is weighing you down. Like, the more stuff that you have, like, the worse and more terrible you are and when you go to one of her um one of her seminars you wear a sticker that says done tidying up or not yet done tidying up (laughs) 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 the shame um and it's like kind of in our society right now there's like it's morally good almost to be minimalist um yeah like i one time was like packing up to go home after like a semester of college and a friend walked in and he was like oh what are you doing and I was like oh I'm packing up all my stuff because I had one box uh that I had started packing and I pointed to the one box I'm like I'm packing up all my stuff and he was like whoa that's all your stuff you're like a really good person (laughs) and I had never felt worse about myself in my life because I owned more than one box of things yeah. Yeah. So this is this weird exception to my like my theory about why we get rid of stuff. It's like okay, you get rid of stuff so that you have room to buy more stuff. But this Marie Kondo character and minimalism is kind of like like messing that up a little bit. It's like, oh, I throw immense amount of things away, but then I'm supposed to be so pristine and very quiet in my in my empty house um, and not fill it back up again. And yeah. this is sort of like this weird exception. It doesn't prove my point. Yeah, well, but like Picasso famously once said, like, I want to live like a poor person with a lot of money. And it's like these minimalist bros, like their chair costs like $10 billion and they've got like a phone that like does everything, but it costs more than like all of the things in my room and like that cactus probably costs like $70 which I know because like I bought a $70 cactus (laughs) so I think this is like this is how capitalism is truly fucking us it's like it it gives us all this stuff it fills our house with nastiness and then it tells us no but if we were really moral and really pure your house would be empty and only the most beautiful pristine people can have that and everyone else is garbage because yeah and also like the thing about minimalism is you never hear like some guy that was like i was a minimalist baby and like i was minimalist my whole life now i'm a minimalist adult blah 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 it's always like i had a bunch of shit and then i threw it away so like the hero's journey is that you throw away all your shit so it's kind of like super privileged to be able to be like oh i don't need this shit anymore and if i do i'll just go buy it again you know and guess why we know that this is um the for real thing is how we feel about people who don't throw things away, which is Hoarders, a show I cannot watch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I only love partial TLC. So Uh, there's kind of, but there's Hoarders who are people that like have all this shit and they don't throw it away. And like, I'm super anti-capitalism, but like I am anti-hoarding, don't hoard. (laughs) Like it will get you real sick. Um, But like the problem is not that they're not, like that they're consuming all of this stuff. It's that they literally just like won't throw it away. 
but maybe that's not the real problem. <laughs> yeah, but so we, we think this is gross because they like are hiding dead cats in their stacks of yeah, books. Yeah, because capitalism wants you to think that your dead cats are not safe, but they are. <laughs> I've got like 14 dead cats and I'm fine. Yes, uh, but there's also um, a type of person that's not as pathological as hoarder called a custodian, which is somebody who keeps in their house like bunches of treasure. And um, <laughs> uh, so they're not dirty, but they like they collect lots of like trinkets and they're collectors and they're filling their house with stuff. And you go in and you're like, wow. And I know that because I have relatives who are custodians. Um, yeah. Shout out uh, to the Skrilloffs. Um <laughs> And I love their house, it's a beautiful house, but my parents really did not like their house. It was really like upsetting to them to go in because it's so much stuff and it's, they could just imagine what will happen when you move out of that house and you have to whatever. Um, there is still a nasty reaction, even though their stuff is clean, um, we still yeah. don't like that it didn't move from their house. We don't like that it's like gathering and staying and holding us down. Yeah, like my dad has a thousand vinyl things and he's always like, uh, I love my vinyls. I have a thousand vinyls, and my stepmom is like, "This is horrible." And he literally will text me once a week to be like, "When I die, don't throw away my vinyls." Uh, that's not really related, but I just feel like that's a lot of vinyls, <laughs> and they're not like good. It's like five of like Bing Crosby. <laughs> oh, we got Bing Crosby. All right, fans. Bing okay. Crosby. Okay. <laughs> All right, so here we go. And I think if it ever goes, we're at the end of part two. Um, woo! Woo, woo! So we have another comedian for you. We sure do. God, he's so funny. Really is. Um, you could see him performing at the Annoyance, but now that's for the last moments that the Annoyance yeah. lives. He is at UCB all the time. Gosh, just give it up for Matt Barat. Woo! UCB all the time. <laughs> Hey, give it up for your hosts, huh? Blythe and Madeline? Yes. Yes, okay. So my name is Matt, I'm a big friend of the show, big friend of the scientists, friend of the venue, okay? Friend of Union Hall. Um, so I just got an, an announcement to make. I'm actually working right now, okay? So this is actually me working. So um, I volunteer and I'm on the street team for Moth, okay? So Moth, it's like the st a Story Slam collective. Okay, come on. Yeah, cool. So, so, um, so normally our marketing is, you know, um, we hand out leaflets, you know, we, we kind of poster around town, but we're kind of doing away with that. We're doing a little more face-to-face -face marketing, okay? So, um, so they let me pop on here and just kind of plug some stuff. So, so we do have an, this is not the only event here, okay, at Union Hall. This is not the only event here. We have an event tomorrow night, upstairs on the bocce court. It's at midnight. It's a Moth Story Slam event. We will have six storytellers, eight slammers, okay? It's gonna go about four hours, so definitely check that out, okay? So it is the moth, and it is a Story Slam event, okay? So def definitely check that out. It is a Story Slam event. Um, um, sorry, sorry. I, I know I'm like kind of like fumbling over my words here and stuff and get a little excited. I just like, I just, uh, I just won big the, uh, I just got lottery tickets for Dear Evan Hansen, so I'm kind of just like over the moon right now. Kind of, uh, they, they're actually popping off a late show, and so I'm just going to scoot over there after this, like, waving through the window. Um, pretty much stuck in my head. <laughs> actually not looking forward to the end of the year because I know my Spotify thing is going to come up with, like, top songs of this year. And, um, yeah, I think I know what my top ten songs are already going to be. Dear Evan Hansen soundtrack. Okay, cool. Um, uh, we guys, Spotify? 
Hey, okay, just, um, okay. So, uh, so I am on the straight team with Moth. Um, um, so, okay, how, how many, by show of hands here, how many people have ever been to a Moth event? Okay, so most of you, okay, good. So, and, and then by show of hands here, how many people have actually slammed out at one of those events? Okay, so a couple of you then. Okay, so we have a couple slammers in the house. Awesome. So, so what is a story slammer, Matt? What is a slammer? Okay, I hear you throwing that around a lot. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Um, that's what I'm here for. Okay, cool. So what is a slammer, Matt? So, so it's actually pretty simple. It's just, a, it's just not one of the featured storytellers. It's just someone who slams out a, out a story in five minutes or less. That's, that's pretty simple, okay? But, but why do they call it a slammer, right? What is that? Okay, cool. So, so it's actually a borrowed term from like poetry slam. Okay, you probably heard of that, like poetry slam. So, so that poetry slam has its roots in like African American culture. You know, it's kind of like a like hip hop influence and stuff. So, so that's a poetry slam. So that's separate. A story slam is cool. So, so what a story slam is? A story slam is when uh, you get up on stage and you tell a story about one of your relatives getting in a car accident. Cool. So you just knock that out in like five minutes or less. So it's cool. Um, um, but yeah, so I am on the street team and I volunteer with Moth. It is not my full-time job, okay? <laughs> not my full-time job, just something I do on the side. I actually make most of my income uh, uploading tickle videos to the, to the internet, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, I kind of make my own schedule. It's pretty sweet, like three times a week uh, on, my own, on my own terms. Uh, you know, I'll strap myself down and then Ultimate Frisbee team just kind of has free range over my body. Um, you know, so they, so they kind of go crazy. And then, uh, and then what's really interesting is that, that then these, these images and these videos are distributed all over the world, okay? So then people in, you know, say Poland, you know, pe people in Japan, Argentina, okay? Where, wherever you are, pe people all over the world, um, these shameful men can essentially they can essentially nut to these images, which is kind of cool. So stories are all about connecting and bringing people together. And that's, you know, that's just kind of my way of like, because I don't get up there and tell stories. I'm just, I'm just on the street team for Moth. Okay? Just on the street team for Moth. Um, but that's one of my ways of connecting. So, so we are always looking for like um, A-list celebs to, um, to come do some of our events. We've had some... We have had some pretty good names in the past. Um, um, actually, uh, the other the other month we actually had Bill Amend. Um, we had Bill Amend tell a story. So Bill Amend, he actually um, created the the panel comic Foxtrot. Foxtrot. So we had Bill Amend on, and he was awesome. He got up there and he told this story about his uncle getting in a car accident, just like destroyed. And then uh, like uh, about six months ago, we had one of our like, special story slams. And um, we had the bailiff for Judge Joe Brown. And sh she was on, and she told this awesome story. It was about her two twin sons who were both driving separate cars and got in a car accident with each other. And it's cool. What she did was she actually told it from the perspective of the cars, which was kind of nonlinear and kind of, what? So that was sweet. Kind of like flipped the whole like slam on its head. Um, so they were just slamming out. You know, we've, we've had slams about like uh, stepdads getting in car accidents, like sisters getting in car accidents. It's kind of an anything goes kind of thing. Um, so yeah, and like I know, you know, this is kind of a themed, this is kind of a themed event. So the theme is garbage, right? Um, but like we do themes on anything. So like what are some themes you might have heard on like, I don't know, like This American Life or Radio Lab or any, any theme? <laughs> Literally any theme. Batman. What was that? 
Batman. Okay, cool, sweet. So, so, so Batman, you know, he suits up, he gets into his Batmobile, drives away, gets in a car accident. Cool? You know what I'm saying? It's so easy. Anyone can just slam out. What's another theme? Belonging. Belonging? Belonging? Cool. Okay, cool. So, like, if, if you're, like, at your first semester of, like, of, like, college, you're like, I don't belong. I need to, like, drive home to my parents over fall break. So, you just get in your car, you, like, start driving, get in a car accident. You're slamming out. It's a moth story slam. It's a big slam. Um, yeah. Waving through the window. Um, God. Dear Evan Hansen, anyone else, anyone seen it yet? Yeah? And you loved it. Would you say it captured the angst that you went through in high school? Cool. Um, so yeah, any, do we have any, any A-list celebs here? <laughs> no? I just, I actually can't stop doing this until I get one for the bocce event tomorrow. Okay, that's cool. I, I kind of figured it would come to this, um, and I kind of had the, the bug to perform, actually, tonight. So, um, do you guys mind if I do a, one of my um, celebrity impressions? Thank you. Okay, cool. So, um, sweet. Um, okay. Okay. Cool. So, this, I've been working on this for about a week here. Um, it's probably my best celebrity impression. Um, and here, it, I would love if she did a story slam. Amazing. The, the fucking commission I would pull off this. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here's my celebrity I'm Academy Award-winning actress, Emma Stone. You may know me from such movies as Birdman and La La Land. That's Birdman, and of course, who could forget La La Land? I'm Emma Stone. The movies I was in recently were Birdman and La La Land. Birdman, Birdman. A movie called Birdman, followed up with La La Land. Birdman, 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 La La Land, La La Land. The movie is called La La Land. Birdman, Birdman, and two tickets for La La Land. Excuse me, can I get a ticket for Birdman? I'd like to see Birdman and also La La Land. Birdman and La La, excuse me, excuse me, sir. My eyes are over here. Thank you, that was my Emma Stone impression. Beautiful Emma Stone, beautiful Emma Stone. Um, okay, so that's, um, you know, that's about it for me. Again, the story slams tomorrow, it's up on the bocce court. Um, I think my lift is here for Dear Evan Hance, and so I gotta go pop off and get that. But uh, please welcome back to your stage your host. Thank you. Oh, uh, 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 yeah, 
keep it going for Matt Barads. So we just got a little bit more garbage talk to talk about, and it's just why does talking about all this make everyone so defensive? Pretty much whenever I was like, we're doing a show about garbage, people were like, I don't know anything about garbage, which is because it's really hard to find out because people who work in the garbage industry are kind of secretive. They're hiding it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and if I were to ask you what you threw out um, and I made you lay it out all on the floor for a week, uh, you'd be very upset. <laughs> um, but it's actually more than that. It's that if you tell people what the real problem is, you know, we can talk about trash all we want, but the real problem is that we consume too much um, in terms of environmental impact. But if you start telling people that they consume too much, they get very upset. So, like, the one way that we're told, like, okay, here's how we're going to deal with this, is you reduce, reuse, recycle, right? But... Uh, if you talk to environmentalists, this is an um, anecdotal poll. All they talk about is freaking recycling. Um, and guess what? Recycling's bullshit. I hate recycling. Um, uh, recycling's, uh, recycling's okay. Yeah, I mean, like, you should, you should definitely do recycle, yeah. but it's, like, not the panacea that we want it to be. Yeah, it's actually the last in the list of the things you should do. You should, like, first reduce. That's, like, you know, best case scenario to have a good environmental impact and then reuse and then recycle. So it's actually, like, our worst option of the three. Um, but we just talk about it constantly. And um, it's because it still allows you to buy stuff. You don't actually have to stop buying anything. And so it just, you know, it doesn't really um, threaten uh, the, the thing that's the real problem. Yeah, and um, then you get to be the kind of person that's like, I recycle. <laughs> no, that's, that's a freaking huge part of it. That's a, that's a huge part of it, is that it's very observable that um, you're doing something good. And uh, just by not buying something, you uh, don't get the social, you know, help. Actually, um, what you really get is, uh, um, social punishment if you don't recycle and you like throw a bottle in the trash. Yeah. People get very mad at you. <laughs> um, I don't want to say that recycling is bullshit. You should generally recycle. But the only really super important thing to recycle is aluminum. Seriously. Why is recycle that true? aluminum. Because it's so energy intensive to take aluminum out of the ground. That's why people yeah. get money for returning aluminum bottles. Um, I would also recycle paper because it's really like a big waste of like water to make paper, but like, <laughs> but apparently alu aluminum is definitely. We can grow more trees, whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, this is, this is true. I wrote my thesis on it. Oh, and just one more thing. Um, another, uh, Another way that we get so defensive is there's this lady, um, I forget her name, her blog is called Zero Waste Home. And uh, <laughs> someone, someone sighed, um, uh, which proves my point, thank you. Um, so she and her family of two beautiful boys in California um, only create uh, like one mason jar filled with trash every year. Um, and she writes a blog about it. Uh, also, she's French, so very, everybody feels very judged by her. Um, uh, but listen, she, she you know, we, it, it's very easy to have the reaction of like, well, she's probably cheating, and well, she probably buys a lot of stuff anyway, and well, blah, 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 blah. But 
interrogate that feeling in yourself. You're getting defensive because you <laughs> feel like she's going to judge you for having this wasteful life. Yeah. Um, but listen, she's just a dog doing her best. Yeah. Also, wait, but like it is like kind of like privilege to be able to like, you know, to be able to go to Whole Foods and be like, put my meat in my mason jar or like, <laughs> like to have all of these, like I don't have even a cabinet that is this big. I have like this much where I can put all my chia seeds and like that's all I have. So like, like it definitely is like, again, like minimalism. It's like a rich people thing to do, but like, I mean, more power to her, I guess. Oh yeah, I freaking love her. Um, <laughs> uh, or I'm I'm inspired by her anyway because I I I do think that capitalism is bad. But remember, when you get jealous or angry at somebody, it's probably because capitalism wants you to. Um, yeah. yeah. So in our our final statement, um, when you're feeling social pressure, like when you bring your mason jar to Whole Foods and someone's like, huh? Um, <laughs> learn from that. That's probably that's probably some cultural pressure on you that you are not noticing. Um, learn who you're judgmental of uh, and when you feel judged, because those are also probably cultural forces that you don't have a, a clear hold on. And um, fighting capitalism means buying less stuff. And you will always pay a cost for fighting capitalism. So when everybody in your family gets really mad at you for refusing to accept <laughs> gifts and being a little punk about it. This is why, because the fight's real. Yeah, it's so real. So that's basically our thesis, but we have, oh yeah. Look. We just found this and we're like, that's gotta go in. Uh, <laughs> but we've got one more comedian for you. Um, she is so brilliant. She's like two seconds away from getting famous. She also hosts a show here at Union Hall. It's called It's a Guy Thing. I think the next one is Friday the 31st. Uh, please give it up for Katherine Cohen. When the city lights shine too bright for your liking when you feel like you just can't take the heat when the hustle keeps bustling too quickly you gotta kick back and take a shit in the street <laughs> one woman's trash another woman's treasure this is just a little snack of a song Who's got time to wait in line at Starbucks? Who's got time to buy a tea to pee? You keep running late to every shitty date. Kick back and take a shit in the street. Who's got time to go to bar or yoga? Who's got time to ever miss a beat when you're a part-time DJ and a full-time hot mom? Kick back and take a shit in the street. Oh, who's got time to go to brunch on Sunday even though mimosas are cheap? Why'd you spend all day drinking your feelings away? Kick back and take a shit in the street. Who's got time to catch the sale at Zara? 
who's got time to buy pants with all those pleats when they don't have your size? Give yourself a prize. Kick back and take a shit in the street. Kick back and take a shit in the street. And now, uh, to air my dirty laundry, I wrote this song. Can you hear the song? It's mine. This is bookmarked with a valentine my lover gave me. It says, suck my ass dry. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I did. <laughs> Ever been to Dairy Queen? <laughs> I've lost control. <laughs> I'm sorry I friended your fiancé on Facebook. <laughs> I meant to look at his profile pictures. I was on my phone. <laughs> I haven't spoken to you in at least seven years, but you can't get engaged to a personal trainer and not have me say something. <laughs> I'm sorry I DJ'd our Uber pool. It's just that I have really good taste in music, even though I was kind of popular in high school. Not like really popular, but like, <laughs> I haven't even seen Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry I never texted you back about borrowing my adult-sized tutu for your sketch comedy show. I was on the L train, trying to remember how I knew the person sitting across from me. Turns out, it was from sex. <laughs> I'm sorry I bailed on the yoga booty ballet class we signed up for. I was exhausted and I'm still reeling from the time I slept with someone who didn't know who Greta Gerwig is. I'm sorry I never saw your play. Theater is yelling at people to leave rooms or begging people to stay in rooms. New York is cool because you get to wait in line to walk over a puddle. I'm sorry I said your boyfriend looks like a lesbian. It's hard to remember how to be when I'm online all the time. That picture you posted of you doing aerial silks is exhausting. Oh, I'm sorry I got mad because you were dating a blonde. Sorry I googled her in front of you. It's just whenever I think someone looks cool, I realize they're just thin. <laughs> Jealousy is great because it's like swallowing a house that you just set on fire. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> That feeling when you finish the set, but the music keeps playing. <laughs> but it's nice to sort of get to talk and show you, you know, yes, she is real. No, she, she has flaws too. Um, 
on that note, I, I'm gonna leave and I wanna tell, urge everyone to suck my ass dry. <laughs> Thank God for Catherine uh, Cohen. Thank God for her. So we we um, we are nearly done with our show. We just have one unbelievable achievement that Blythe and I did, which is get a hero of mine to come talk to us, uh, and that's Elizabeth Reut. She uh, wrote this book um, in 2005, and she has written many books since. Um, this is Garbage Land, uh, where she went and followed. New York's trash to its um, sources and ends. Uh, and she's also just wrote a feature in the New York Times Magazine. And now we are going to interview her. So if you'd come up, Elizabeth. Uh, and everybody give her a big hand. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, yes, please sit. Um, yeah, so uh, just so you know, I read this book. In, um, when I was in college and had an anxiety attack and then wrote my thesis on it. A little bit. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, very, yes, but um, uh, frightening. Um, so thank you so much for coming. Um, so we've been talking about uh, people getting upset when you um, talk to them about garbage. Uh, what do people talk to you when you tell them what you study and how, what reactions have you gotten? People love to talk about their garbage. Um, people are very proud of, of what they, they are always very eager to tell me about their recycling and if they compost, they're always, they always want to talk about that. And <laughs> after they read my book, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, um, I, I think of you every time I open my trash can or I can't throw, <laughs> can't throw anything away without thinking of you. So that's a great compliment to me. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do people like, do you feel like they ever like get defensive when you talk about like, well, I mean you, you, so for like the audience who ha maybe hasn't read the book. Um, maybe. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth in the beginning and throughout like Kata, she like takes out all of her trash and like writes it down. So like you learn that it's like hard to reduce your consumption, I guess. Like do you find that other people are uh, like defensive about how much waste they produce? Uh, no, it wasn't hard to reduce my waste actually. Oh, so fun. that exercise in quantifying was, um, so I set myself a goal. I knew that the, um, the EPA says that the average American throws out, uh, what is it? Four, 4.3 or 4.5 pounds of waste a day, and I just wanted to beat the national average, and it's not hard at all, okay. actually. Um, and be living in a small apartment helps, and having limited income helps, and keeping yourself <laughs> away from a lot of media is a really great thing, avoiding you know, a lot of come-ons and you know, being strong and resistant. Um, so I try not to be very scoldy in the book, and um, I think I kind of live in a bubble of environmentally-minded people, and so I didn't get a lot of defensiveness. Um, I mean, there was, was some um, people who would just say, well, that's all good for you, but I don't have, it's, it's living in this neighborhood, we have a great recycling system if you take advantage of it in New York. It's not hard to recycle, um, there should be more street infrastructure so that you can do the right thing, but we can get rid of textiles responsibly and electronic waste and food scraps. So 
it's not hard to do the right thing with diverting from the landfill. Um, there's a lot of other issues going on. But so people would say, well, I live in the Midwest. We don't have access to recycling systems. I would have to drive 20 miles to recycle my can. Is it really worth it? And the answer would be no. So um, they would tell me why they couldn't do all the things that I get to do because we have strong government and political will to do some of these things, yeah. some. So how did you figure out how to reduce your consumption? What was easy? Well, the easy um, thing <laughs> sounds like it's so such a cliche. So I live in Park Slope. I'm a member of the food co-op. So <laughs> things like buying in bulk helps you reduce packaging. Um, just thinking about what kind of garbage something is going to make before you buy it. Um, so becoming, I educated myself researching the book and learning about where things come from and what things are actually made of, like where plastic comes from, how, how metal is made, and aluminum and paper. So you learn about where things come from. And with that in your head, it becomes a sort of filter. And you think about what is going to happen to it when it's sitting in a landfill or w even when it's recycled or um, what sort of, if it's organic material, if it's in a landfill. So just having that filter made it easier for me to evaluate what I was buying and ask myself if I really needed it. And of course, I learned about all kinds of alternative sources for getting stuff uh, not new. So um, asking if you really need it, asking if you need to have it new, can you borrow it, can you rent it, can you share it, um, that's, that's a big part of the reduction part. Um, one of the things you wrote in the book that really struck me and that I've repeated to other people and they've been like, whoa, is that the, <laughs> the like trash heaps of the Roman Empire like still leaching like material? And I like know you also wrote that like people who have studied this say like it's not really like a thousand years that something will break down. It's like tens of thousands of years, maybe even like longer of like material breaking down. Did you find that there's any way to like is there a safe way to throw material away, or is it just a lost cause? Okay, let's back up. So the Roman, the Roman Empire dumps are filled with metals, and the metals are, when the metals combine with air and water, then they leach. Um, it's like uh, whatever leaches out of mines in the in the U.S. today. Like a lot of Superfund sites are mines, so those are um, heavy metals that are leaching. It's not plastics because they didn't have plastics. <laughs> Um, so this thousand-year thing, people say you use a bottle for 15 seconds or a bag and then it lasts for a thousand years, but we don't really know because we haven't had plastics for a thousand years and don't know how long it will take for them to break down. Dumb people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, wait, what was the nugget of your question? So, like, how is there, the like, safe way? a safe way, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, metals, so there's... Did you read um, William McDonough's work when you were researching garbage, the cradle-to-cradle -cradle guy? Has anyone read? Yes. Okay. So that he talks about products being made of either um, technical nutrients, which cycle endlessly, metals that go back into being metals and uh, plastics uh, that can be reused again and again as plastics and not ending up in landfills. Um, or by, if they're not technical nutrients, chemicals and metals or glass, they are... Um, biological nutrients and can cycle back into the earth when we're done with them. And it would be carpeting or clothing made, in, made out of organic materials that are safely compostable and can grow new textiles and foods and things. Yeah, so do you think we can be like ants where they build magnificent colonies to support themselves but create no waste at all? That's a question we have written down here. <laughs> I love ants. My first book had a lot about ants in it. So ants do have trash piles, and they bring out their dead. And they, they carry them out away from their nests and tip them into piles. And then I suppose those, 
those uh, funeral p uh, piles, there's a wor another word for them, um, are probably consumed by some other creature wow. um, or decomposing. So are we going to build our own self-sustaining, yeah. zero-waste? Sure. <laughs> I, the zero waste movement people say zero waste or pretty darn close. They don't think that we're mm -hmm. going to get to 100% diversion from landfills and, and incinerators. Um, that's a term that's used a lot. It's been kind of co-opted by corporations who talk about their zero waste factories and what they mean is zero waste to landfill. They're actually sending a lot of stuff to incinerators, which to me doesn't count as zero waste. Right. Yeah. You said something like 25% of what's sent to an incinerator, like still, like they have to chuck it in a landfill, I think. Maybe 25% high, but I remember being like, whoa, like you can't just burn the sofa you brought home, like there's still, you know, there's sofa ash. ash. There's ash. <laughs> so yeah, what, what goes in is reduced in uh, volume or mass to, uh, I can't remember if it's 25 or 30%, but, um, and that does have to be landfilled and it often contains toxic materials. And and then toxics also go up the smokestack because oh, right. containment isn't perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I so a lot of this book is like about what happens to trash, your trash in Park Slope, and then like where it goes. And you talk about how there's like a bunch of waste stuff in uh, like around Greenpoint, uh, East Williamsburg. And at one point, you're like talking to a woman who's doing compost, and she takes like the leachate or whatever from the compost and like dumps it into a drain. And you're like. Yeah, that drains like 30 feet away from the East River, so it's like probably going into the East River. Uh -huh. um, so like as someone who lives in Williamsburg, like should I be terrified for my health? Like should I be touching the East River or is that like very yeah. dangerous? I would urge everyone to get out and onto and into the river because the more people who are out there using the rivers, the more pressure there will be to clean up the rivers and show that <laughs> <laughs> we need Sacrifice yourself. Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe people say no yeah. one is discouraging. Well, there's a lot of boating on the Gowanus Canal, right? And yeah. I think that activism uh, helped bring a lot of attention to the canal and um, helped push the cleanup. Some people weren't in favor of the um, Superfund designation, but um, we need to participate and get out there. And no, touching the East River is not going to. What what is your what were you saying earlier? It won't kill you. It won't make you sick. It will. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good to know. It's uh, the uh, the dose is the poison. So. Um, conversely, too much of it. <laughs> this is like, I feel like I already know the answer to this, but like now that I know I can touch the East River, I uh, read a lot of like witch books because I'm a millennial woman. We and both do. We all have to. It's the new feminist thing. And they're all like, once you do this spell, take the leftover like wax and ash and like whatever like thing from your altar and like put it in a living body of water and I was like I can't do that that's littering but then I learned that the East River is so gross what do you say I should throw my witch trash in <laughs> can you reuse it <laughs> oh yeah I guess I could well it says you gotta throw it in a living body of water oh, oh yeah. okay so it's wax it's organic material yeah it's like candle wax, wax. yeah candle. and maybe a cover of the New Yorker because I'm like doing spells Paper. to like get into the New Yorker <laughs> it'll do great but the East River isn't that dirty I would you, people swim in the East River, you know, people yeah. race in the river, and um, I would only warn all of you potential swimmers that d don't swim right after a heavy rainfall because of the combined sewer overflow event, oh. which you all know about, right? No. no. 
Tell us more. <laughs> I feel like uh, we can guess. I'll tell you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we could come up with definitions. So New York City, like many older cities, especially on the East Coast, has one set of pipes that carry sewage away from our homes and stormwater. The, the drains on the corners collect um, rainwater. It goes into the same pipe with the sewer stuff, and it goes to a wastewater <laughs> treatment plant, which is great. But when it rains, the system is undersized, and um, the treatment plant is overwhelmed. It has too much water to treat, and so it shuts down, and a regulator opens. It's an opening at the end of a pipe along the water's edge, and it pours untreated sewage and stormwater into the rivers and estuaries and bays all around the city. And so if you swim after a rain of over a quarter inch, you'll be swimming in diluted sewage, more so than usual. <laughs> <laughs> so the city has these alerts, and if you, like, hook, you can get a, an alert on your phone that'll buzz when there's a CSO, combined sewer overflow, and then you'll know uh, not to swim, but also things like during a heavy rain, you can avoid running your dishwasher or washing laundry or taking a long shower because you're adding water to the system. Oh. And if, if more people knew about it, I mean, it's sort of a pipe dream, but if we could curtail our use of water. <laughs> what? what? That's literally a pipe dream. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. If we cut down our water use during big rain events, we could have less sewage into our waterways. More reasons for me to not shower. Thank you. <laughs> I always need more. So you, you also spent a lot of time um, uh, getting in kayaks and trespassing. Love it, um, yeah. <laughs> It's important as a journalist to Yeah, so what, what was the best place um, that you went illegally in your work? <laughs> um, I think sneaking into the landfill in Pennsylvania where um, the waste from this neighborhood and, and much of Brooklyn goes. Well, actually, that, that was sort of scary and... Uh, I was really angry doing that, and it colored my entire writing of the book. It was such a bitter experience. But the most fun I had was kayaking with the salt marsh restorationists around fresh kills. Um, they weren't letting me into the landfill, and um, so I thought I would attack it by water instead of land. And so I went out with this guy um, in, on a winter's day, and we we did we had to lift up a ga a gate and a, a boom on the water and sneak in, and we got to. I got to see what I wanted to see of the landfill, and then someone started a sanitation officer started screaming at us, and wanted us to paddle to shore to present ourselves for punishment, which we like <laughs> didn't really want to do, and so we paddled the other way and went back. <laughs> he was yelling at us, and he was so you know impotent little man on the shore. <laughs> um, but the ending of that story is um, that we had misread the tide table and. Um, so we had put in in the um, William T. Davis Wildlife Refuge, which is uh, north of Preshkills. I'm trying to imagine the map now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, there are tidal creeks there. And um, because we timed it wrong, we ran out of water. And we were stuck in the mudflats far from the, from the uplands. And we had to wait. And it started snowing. And we were freezing. And we were, hey, Carl, the guy I was with, I don't know if this is in the book, but he, he had this plan after a while that um, we were just like rocking on the keel of the boat, and it, to get out, he said we were going to have to throw ourselves out horizontally because the mud is so um, squishy that yeah, it's like 
have you been out there? It is still just like <laughs> he said. You would say he said he'd seen people go in up to their necks, and, and it was uh, <laughs> the gas. <laughs> so he was so like, cool. I was like, okay. So how how do we get out? And he'd say, you have to get horizontal really quickly, and then we're gonna roll. And then the, it, there was a happier ending because he remembered he had his phone on him because his <laughs> wife was pregnant and was actually due to go into labor that day. So he was like, that's why I have my phone. Instead, we're stuck in the marsh and the light is going down and it's snowing. And he made a call and he, some friends of his at the um, plant, Native Plant Propagation Center came out and threw these wooden pallets down and made a long dock for us to get out onto. So that was probably the most fun I had. Um, I guess going off of that, Madeline is like, so, and I, we both think that you're so cool, but I am called to do comedy in this life, but Madeline wants to ask, how do you become you? Like, you do such cool things. Like, what did you do yeah, to I become be a journalist? <laughs> Write these cool books. Um, I... Thank you for asking that question for me. I was an English major. Um, I wasn't a science student. I wish I were, but I guess maybe I wouldn't be what I am now if I had like gone on and gotten a graduate degree in evolutionary biology, which I really love. Um, and I, I liked writing, creative writing. Um, did work for magazines that folded, started freelancing. Um, had a very lucky break when an editor um, asked me to profile a scientist, um, Ed Edward O. Wilson, the Harvard sociobiologist and the world's foremost ant scientist. And I uh, went to Panama with him, <laughs> wrote a profile, and it was on the cover of the New York Times Magazine, and it changed my career because I started getting a lot of phone calls asking me to do science stories. And I loved it. It just it spoke to me, and I get to write about something that's really important to me, um, climate change issues, food, waste, consumption. Yeah. yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah well, that's so dope. I think we'll leave it there. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much, you for, so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you. I'm thank you. And that's our show. Um, thank you all for coming. Yeah. Uh, so uh, upstairs is a bar. Downstairs bar closes. So go upstairs. We're gonna hang out if you want to talk to us or uh, just. Drink or offer yourself. me a front cover magazine story <laughs> and change my life forever. So bless you, bless you, and good night. Good night. Houston, 20 seconds to LOS Tedris. Nice to be in The Scientists was hosted by Madeline Freed and Blythe Robertson at Union Hall in Brooklyn. Our guests were Halcyon Person, Matt Baratz, Catherine Cohen, and Elizabeth Reut. Sound by Dave Polk. <laughs>